This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Siobhan Leachman, and I'm a New Zealand Wikipedian um, and citizen scientist. I edit Wikipedia, English Wikipedia, Wiki Commons, and Wikidata, and I'm particularly interested in topics like natural history women and their contributions, and as well, of course, New Zealand. Fantastic. Welcome to the show. I'm absolutely delighted uh, to have you with us. Thank you again. Thank you. Uh, for negotiating our, our very disparate time time zones. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose to, to get to the, the, the start of it, where the, the story starts, um, how did you get started editing Wikimedia projects? Well, I initially got sucked into editing um, English Wikipedia, because I was digitally volunteering for the Smithsonian Transcription Center. And I was helping them um, by transcribing handwritten documents so that they be could become machine readable. And the project manager of the Transcription Center was a woman called Megan Ferreter. Um, and she encouraged me to learn to edit Wikipedia because many of the women we were coming across lacked Wikipedia articles. And so I just attempted to learn now, this was in the days when you had to learn source code rather than visual editor. So it was quite a barrier to me because I'd never done anything like that before. But yeah, it was an interesting experience. But once I got my head around it, I really enjoyed it. Was there much of a leap? Was the transcription uh, platform more user-friendly in your experience? Or was it quite Yeah, a... very much so. Uh, you basically... Um, Back when I started, there were very few actual volunteers for it. It was in its beta phase. So the volunteers themselves were coming up with the markup. The, the project itself just said, look, please just transcribe stuff. And the volunteers were saying, well, what do we do if it's underlined? How do we mark that up? You know, just to say, you know, someone's put an underline in there to emphasize it. How do we mark it up in the transcription? And there'd be a discussion amongst the volunteers working on that particular project. It wasn't even consistent throughout the entire transcription centre. It may just be relating to that particular project. But yeah, so, and I'd never done code before, so, or any source markup or anything like that before. So it was a real challenge and it took me, you know, two, three, four goes before I actually really got my head around and sorted as to how to go about editing. I do like the idea of the community coming to coming to like a shared way of doing things by consensus. What does that remind you of? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the way we organize ourselves. It's the way that nerds organize, it turns out. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> so um, like many of us started with with Wikipedia. When did you start focusing on Wikidata editing for your citizen science? Well, it actually wasn't that long afterwards. I looked at the first dates of um, what I used to do, at, you know, my first contribution. And it was only about another, I started editing um, English Wikipedia and I think it was the end of 2014. And by the end of 2015, I discovered Wikidata. Now, um, by this time I'd actually been involved in like several numerous citizen science and digital humanities projects, digitally volunteering for them. And I was getting really frustrated because I couldn't always get the people who I thought were really important into Wikipedia because of the notability criteria. And so there'd be these really important women or specimen collectors or scientific artists, but they couldn't be covered because I couldn't find any secondary sources for them. So instead, what I'd, 
I, I was desperately trying to get them in there. So I, the first step I always thought was to get them into the database of the institution that holds their content. And it could be when researching them and I'm looking at the online catalogue, there might not actually be that much information about these people in the institution that held their work. So I would email the institutions with all the, re all the research I'd done after finding these people out about in my citizen science projects. And sometimes they'd respond really gratefully and two or three months later, you might see the improvement in their catalogue. And sometimes they completely ignore my email and I didn't get any response at all. So when I discovered Wikidata as a way to actually put the information I was actually finding, a just a place that I could put it in and link it. And I could also put all my research in there as a references. So I would make items and then add in all the links I could find, all the research I could find about this person into the Wikidata item and hope that by doing that, the next person who came along would, you know, one, benefit from all my research and two, add to it to the point where they might create secondary sources, which then when I come back, would enable me to actually create a Wikipedia article, a Wikipedia article rather. Yeah. So I just, I just fell in love. Wikidata just rocked my world. It is brilliant for those, uh, even the ones that are kind of a, it's a close run thing. Like you could mm. take a chance on a Wikipedia article, but mm. then mm. it could get extinguished quite quickly. That it's that nice. Yeah. It's not quite a holding pattern because Wikidata serves its own purpose, but it I is. I see it as a stepping stone. As a stepping yeah. stone, it's a, it's a continuation because the number of times I've done that and then come back and other editors have either add identifiers or perhaps an obituary link or something like that or link them to scientific literature that discusses their work. It means that I get the, when I go back to the item, I get exposed to other people's research and can push them over the notability criteria without, you know, just because of me putting them into Wikidata. So yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely love it. It's exciting when, uh, it's exciting when you think you've been working on something really niche and then somebody else comes along and you're like, yay. Yeah, exactly. Not just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've alluded to it really, but, you know, I suppose there's anything else I want to say, but that, you know, you obviously think it's very important for people to contribute to Wikidata, but do you want to expand on that yeah. a little bit more? Yeah, I really do think it is. Um, it's also the potential of Wikidata. I mean, it's the linked open data bit and the, and the fact that it's also a hub for identifiers. So what blows my mind is that you can exponentially increase the um, information known about a particular subject because of the actual linking um, rather than just the item itself, for example. And once um, people and organisations start actually getting and understanding that Wikidata just doesn't, it's a fabulous database and it contains amazing data, but it's the hub bit that really, really excites me. And once you explain to institutions and to people about that hub aspect of Wikidata, it's the reason why I'm convinced more and more and more people and institutions should contribute. Because that's, to me, the, the, the gold, the, the absolute diamond part of the project, yeah. What I really love about it is that um, it allows for kind of multifaceted framing. So somebody, mm. especially if you're kind of way, you know, 100, 150 years in the past, somebody wasn't just, you know, they, they weren't a botanist per se. They, mm. you know, they might have been mm. a flower illustrator and, and it allows for that kind of, uh, the ability you're to link at to all of, yeah. Yeah, when you're looking at a person, you're looking at the whole person's life. 
not just the fact that they were perhaps the best botanists in this particular country for this period of time. You can put into Wikidata things like they are, they also illustrated their articles. They're also a really keen skier and won the Olympics since 1936, but everyone's forgotten about it because they were a fantastic botanist in 1970. You know, all that sort of stuff. You can connect everything. Or they were co-collectors and they were co-collectors with Darwin. You know, so that sort of it's the it's the connections and the the ability to portray people through, I guess, through more 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 of a not just on one facet of their life, but all facets. Yeah. Yeah, because even if you have all that content on a Wikipedia article, say the way you frame it is nearly always going to be weighted more towards, mm. as you mm. say, what they well, get. Well, it's going to be noted towards the the thing that they're notable for in order to get them into Wikipedia. I mean, that's yeah. just how it is. Whereas it's not, I don't think it's the same. It's possibly, I know that's arguable. But yeah, I think it, Wikidata enables someone to to add things in that might not necessarily make it into a Wikipedia article. Yeah, yeah, to allow them to occupy a, a very different space. Mm. So you've mentioned uh, some of your work on, on uh, women in particular, and you know we're often told and, yeah, mixed feelings about the use of hidden uh, when it comes to histories and things like that. Yeah. Um, mm. But you know, how difficult has it been, I suppose, from the point of view of the work that you've done, uh, to find some of the women that you've researched? Um, some of them are really easy, and it's just a matter of knowing the resources to go to. So it's been, you know, it's a learning experience doing this sort of work. And I, I, I tend to um, specialise in natural history women. And so I know the databases, and I know the types of searches, and I know I can go to the Internet Archive and do a... Um, a, a you know full text search or I'll go to the biodiversity heritage library and do the same and then find them and link them and that's okay that's assuming the content is actually digitized one of the things that people forget nowadays is not everything is on the internet and so when these people are referred to or these women are referred to as hidden it tends to be because the places that they uh, documented in might not necessarily have been digitized yet and so I don't and can't have access say for example they've got a journal or um, their illustrations are in a museum or a library or an archive and all you've got is the if you've got that at all a catalog record sometimes you'll have a record that will just have a name and a name isn't enough you need more information than a name. You need to actually look at the content to work out that it, that is that person who did that in order to link them in. So the the hidden aspect is one whether the stuff that they've touched or dealt with or um, mentions them has been digitised, and and two whether I can have access to it because of course there's paywalls and there's you know, all sorts of issues. So hidden is like a there's a, you can say hidden. They may not necessarily be hidden. They are there. It's just a matter of the challenge of getting to them. Yeah, it's a discoverability piece, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. So what what what's your your like rallying call when it comes to you know to other citizen sciences or institutions that are thinking about engaging with citizen science pro uh, projects? Oh, just be open. Please be open. There's so many people in in the world who can reuse your content for so many different things. And if um, if people, if you're a citizen scientist, for example, and you may be working on, a, on an app or putting together a data set or whatever you're doing, if you're doing it for the good of the world, can you please, and not 
commercially, for example, um, if you're doing it for the good of everybody, license it with that intent. So license data sets CC0, license images CC0, CC by, CC share alike, you know, by share alike, you know, whatever. Um, just think about the end user and the reuse possibilities. And even then you won't think of everything because if you open it, it's amazing what people do with your content. And it won't just be Wikipedia, Wikidata, Wikicommons, Wikisource. It will be a whole load of other reuses that you will never have imagined. You know, someone printing it off and making fabric and making a dress out of your data, you know, your, your image of your data. I've seen people do that. Wow. Uh, it's just amazing. It blows my mind. I've got a redacted scarf. I've got a scarf with um, images of a redacted uh, pieces of secret information. And it's because the redacted drew interesting shapes and it got made into a scarf and I just love it because it's just so meta. That's amazing that's amazing and yeah, yeah. so now for our our very specific Siobhan, uh, niche content which is um a man yeah. that has has uh I suppose joined us across the oceans and the internet uh and that's a gentleman that most people yeah. will not have heard of uh Arthur Wilson Stelfox uh who I came across yeah. uh in the undigitized depths uh, of uh, the Natural History Museum here in Dublin, which is referred to as the Dead Zoo, but you have a very different relationship yeah. uh, with him. And what what is that? I uh, yeah, I started out with the, in the transcription centre. One of the biggest projects I got involved with was transcribing um, bumblebee specimen labels, and so they digitized all these fabulous fluffy bumblebees, all different species, um, and then you had all these little teeny tiny handwritten specimen labels and you had to basically transcribe them into a certain uh, format and then that would be uploaded as part of the catalogue. And I, Stelfox, AW Stelfox just kept coming up again and again and again, like thousands of specimens all by him, all collected by him. And so um, what I ended up doing was going, oh, who is this guy? And going away and finding out about him. And then turned out that the Smithsonian also had his uh, journal of collection events for these bumblebees, these gorgeous bumblebees. And if you've ever seen an uh, uh, entomology specimen label, they are tiny. There is barely enough room to put the date, possibly a um, abbreviation of the collection where the collection event happened and who the collector is. And that's about it. Whereas his journal gave details about the weather, where he went, what plants grew there, where he went to actually collect them. Oh, I found them in a bush of nettles or whatever and so much information or you know on the banks of this particular river half a mile down from the bridge so much more accurate than the actual specimen label could be and it just seemed to me because we were dealing the whole purpose of transcribing these labels and imaging these bumblebees was to attempt to conserve endangered species that perhaps people actually might need this extra data in order to one perhaps try and find them again or work out where they are so um, I transcribed this with other volunteers, his journals, and just thought he was amazing because he's so prolific. He's every single day, every lunch hour, dinner hour, you name it, he's out there with his net collecting bumblebees. He's just uh, lepidoptera, yeah, lepidoptera, beetles, you, uh, mollusks, you name it, he's out there collecting. But a lot of them were, were bumblebees. <laughs> yeah, so I loved him. <laughs> I just thought he was great. And of course, and rec very recently, I expanded the article on his uh, man who's his partner in crime and awful lot of the time, Eugene O'Mahony. 
oh cool because i think i created that article quite possibly quite possibly because i I, yeah Yeah. but the current curator in the natural history museum in dublin tweeted i think about um a label of omahanis and i suddenly went oh yeah god that's very familiar and the handwriting of course i mean stell fox's handwriting is delibly marked on my brain (laughs) dreadful We'll have to send, uh, yeah. uh, it took me a while to get used to writing, reading it and then transcribing it because it was not easy. Yeah. One yeah. of the things that I'm hoping with with um, the museum is to even just, the first step would be like getting their signatures and that kind of thing and putting those into the, the Wikipedia articles. Um, uh, you know, it was a, even as just a, a sample. Well, now, now the Smithsonian is um, uh, CC0 for images. You should go on their website and have a look because... Um, I'm pretty sure there will be uh, in the journals themselves signatures that you could then take. I don't know. It's certainly about self box. self box shouldn't be difficult to find. So, yeah, I can help you with that. So you've taken your your experience, I suppose, the stealth hawk experience. And did you kind of take a lot of the things that you learned about that then to write about some of the, the women that you've been talking about on Wikidata? Kind of the... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's a, it's a growth thing. I was by no means an expert in this. And I learned so much from the Smithsonian Transcription Center just transcribing things and then going away and just attempting to research and then people would point me to particular areas to go and look at and and you know you just learn and learn and learn and once once you learn the skills of actually researching and where to go for these particular types of resources then you can apply it to other things that you're doing and because okay yeah biodiversity is a really big topic and quite wide but that's sort of, I wouldn't call it specialised because I do tend to be a bit of a bumblebee myself and go from jump from project to project to project like the flowers. But um, it is a, an area of interest. And so I have no difficulty um, working in women with, um, you know, botanists or specimen collectors or entomologists, you name it. Especially, I prefer dead people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll work on live people, but I really like dead people. And so... It's much easier to pin down. <laughs> So, yeah. A little entomology joke. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and also, also they're more likely to have an obituary or a death date in like some of the genealogy resources that I use, which helps. Once you've got dates, you can actually confirm that the name you're dealing with is the person you're dealing with. And so then it sort of cascades from there. You need to make sure when you're disambiguating someone that you've actually got some data to hang on. But even then, even if you don't, even if you don't have anything and you've, you've got a name, you've got a link and you've got a sort of an approximate date for when they did something, you can still put them in Wikidata. That's the great thing. And just say, you know, this is the person, this is the name, reference it. They, you know, can affiliated with this particular organisation or created this particular work or illustrated this particular um, whatever, a painting or botanical illustration and link them in that way and then you just wait and people will come and find them and help you because it's that's, that's a wiki it's fabulous it's, it's the wiki way am i right in, in thinking that you've also done uh, so you were saying like biodiversity work so have you also done some species work as well so endemic yeah i do i do absolutely loads on new zealand endemic species um i've got two wiki data um proposals for properties and at the moment because i want to really go to town on the New Zealand threat classification system, which is sort of it's like the red list for endangered species, but it's specific to New Zealand. And we're getting more and more and more reports and the reports are openly licensed, if you buy, and the database is open. And I would just like to put it into Wikidata and then make it easy for me to, 
one of the uh, one of the reasons was to make it so that easy for me to actually do a sparkle query, get all the uh, you know, like critically endangered species, and then be able to work on those items. I mean, if, if nothing else, that would make my life a lot easier. Yeah. Just creating better workflows for yourself. Just leveraging a massive international yeah. project. Just make your life a little yeah. easier. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, is there anything else about your, your work or, you know, a standout thing that still is always at the front of your mind when you're talking about all the various projects that you've been involved in over the years? Um, I just love how everything's interlinked. So for me, when I do my work, it's not normally just Wikidata focused. I like it when I can link Wikicommons to Wikidata to Wikipedia. So, um, and not necessarily just with people, but with species or anything really, you know, it could be a river, whatever. So long as, so long as you've got the, the um, it's you know, obviously notable for English Wikipedia, but um, it's just fantastic to be able to put stuff into Wikicommons, create a category, link it to Wikidata, link it to, your Wikipedia page, and then you've got this fantastic ecosystem of knowledge, of all types of knowledge, that then other people can reuse. And that's also my absolute passion, is watching other institutions and organisations reusing my work, because that's why I do it. So for example, when I write um, endemic Wikipedia um, species articles in English Wikipedia, they automatically, those articles in Wikipedia get automatically ingested into iNaturalist, which is the citizen science um, sort of observation app that I use to go out and do observations of um, species in, in my life. You know, I just automatic. I take photos of birds, butterflies, bugs, snails, whatever, and it goes into iNaturalist. But I also notice that they've got an about section about the species in that, uh, in that um, app that normally you can look at, and that's normally ingested from Wikipedia. Of course, for a lot of New Zealand endemic species, there's nothing. So you can't be helped to actually improve your data and work out what you're actually looking at. So the fact that they reuse articles that I've helped create, is just so inspiring and, and motivating, really motivating. And then, of course, extra data and Wikidata, because Wikidata has an iNaturalist ID. And then you can, if the, the if observations are openly licensed to iNaturalist, you can download the images and put them in the Wikicommons and illustrate the Wikidata item and the Wikipedia article, because sometimes Wikipedia article only has specimen images and you'd like a live image of the species. You know, it's just the, the ecosystem that really uh, I love. Yeah, it's one of the things that people, I, I think a lot of people don't realise is that if a specimen or if a, an animal, whatever it is, is identified, if it has a binomial name or whatever, it is notable enough for Wikipedia. So all of those things, all that mm. angst you have about notability with people and yeah. places. Yeah, you only need one article. Yeah. You're like, it's a thing. Yeah. This person said it is. Uh, <laughs> 1885. Yeah. Take it or leave it, you know? Yeah, uh. exactly. Yeah. And to me, that's great. Because if I ever get annoyed or, well, not annoyed, but frustrated by the notability criteria, I just go work on species. Yeah. yeah I... <laughs> For a bit, and then I calm down a bit, and then I get back, back into it. I occasionally yeah. go off and write about yeah. an Irish sponge, because... Nobody else is going to. Why not? Apparently. Is there anything else you wanted to flag before we finish up? Or No, that's, I think we've covered quite a few things. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. 
Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.